In the quest for improved health IT interoperability, federal regulators are calling on the healthcare sector to adopt standardized application programming interfaces to help individuals securely and easily access electronic health information using smartphone applications from their healthcare providers and others. What are the potential security risks involved? I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group, and today I'm speaking with privacy and security attorney Helen Oshelsowski of law firm Attorneys at Oshelsowski LLC, and Jared Kulthoff, CEO of Speartip, a cyber intelligence and counterintelligence advisory firm, about the security risks involving mobile health apps as the endpoints in accessing health information from providers and other aggregators. So, Helen, for starters, please briefly describe what the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT is expecting from the healthcare industry in terms of using APIs to allow patients secure access to their health data, and from whom, and where does ONC's information blocking rule fit into all of this? So, the push for APIs and patient access, I think, was spurred on in 2016 by the enactment of the 21st Century Cures Act. Up until then, I'm sure listeners are aware that HIPAA already provided a obligation for covered entity providers and health plans to make PHI available to any patient or member who requests it. And that then went over into electronic health information after the HITECH Act and said that even if the patient requested an electronic format, that they should be able to get an electronic copy. But that just didn't move fast enough, and there's been always a big push and a support from HHS that patients get access to the information that their providers and their health plans have. So we saw things like patient portals developing and things like that, patients and members were getting information on CDs, discs, and flash drives. But they really wanted patients to be able to, to manage their information. So the 21st Century Cures Act was meant to accelerate the interoperability and accelerate the ways in which patients can get information, at least one of the things that the 21st Century Cures Act was intended. From that, we saw the two rules that were finalized earlier this year in 2020. One of those rules came out of ONC. The other rule came out of CMS. And as part of those rules, we saw APIs become a required standard out of ONC, it's going to become a required standard for certified health IT vendors who want their IT to remain certified. They will have to be publishing their APIs and making that available so others can connect. And through CMS, we see that certain kinds of payers such as Medicare Advantage, state Medicaid and CHIP programs and others will also have to make those APIs published and so others can connect. So in one sentence, what's going to happen going forward is that as patients use their apps and they connect and those IT developers and those payers and those types of payers are going to be forced to use those APIs, they'll be forced interoperability will allow that patient information to flow upon the patient's request. Now, to your second part about the security rule exception, the information blocking rule has seven exceptions to allow actors, which are providers, health IT developers, HI health information exchanges and networks, they can still decline to send health data 
upon request if there are security risks. And those are laid out very specific. You have to meet certain requirements. But what I want to point out is that when a patient requests access to his or her own data, that security exception may or may not apply. So HIPAA requires you to give a patient access to his or her own information. And even if the information blocking rule security exception is there, that is not a reason why a provider, for example, would be able to decline giving a patient access or a copy, an electronic copy of his or her own information, including through an app and an API. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, Marianne, and, and, and Jared will probably speak to the security because I see that that as a potential particular area of vulnerability since the security exception may not be an area where a provider can use it as a way to decline sending the patient his or her information, even if there is a security risk on the other end, where there could be certain app developers that could potentially use that as a, a weak link in gaining access to health information. So in other instances, the security exception will allow a actor to decline sending the information if there are valid security risks to other third parties but that may not be have as much teeth when we're talking about patients' access or request to his or her own information. So now, Jared, what sorts of potential security risks might these mobile apps present, and how might those become weak links in organizations' security programs if specific attention is not given to evaluating new apps for security shortcomings? And what sorts of apps are we talking about? I think gaining access to this health information, obviously, is a good thing. It's, it's allowing people to gain access to their records, but how is that done? The push to openly provide access via these applications to healthcare records is a bit concerning from a security perspective. This isn't a scenario where a particular web application is protecting this data, these data sets or this vast network architecture is, is surrounding and protecting a lot of the PHI data, where in essence, allowing applications to connect into this data sets via an application interface, an API and application pro program interface. Now, gaining access to the API by these developers, there's a lot of various avenues of, of attack from the adversary. The adversary may not necessarily compromise the application in and of itself, but what we have seen, at least, many of the attacks are going after these programmers and these programming companies. So these programming companies have API access into these data sets. They build their application. They publish the application on these different uh, these tablets and these different info stores and organizations and hospitals and, and, and consumers download, download the app, they authenticate, and then they have access to their own information. Well, one of the main issues is securing those APIs so that a rogue entity can't obtain the keys from the applications and then download that and access the data sets on the back end, not utilizing the application that was built for it. So there's a lot of different avenues that is concerning for us. When we, many times we respond to intrusions, whether that's ransomware or, or other any type of attack inside of an organization, quite often what we find, at least in these developing entities, the adversary sits inside these organizations for quite some time, and they're specifically looking for API keys. Because if they have access to the API keys and they understand the architecture of the database and data, data sets, they can simply download that information and not necessarily uh, attacking the tablet themselves. Now, that's, a, that's another platform of concern, too, uh, you have these developing companies 
producing these applications. And I don't think there's a very robust standard as we sit today as to the applications are being produced and sold on the market and then gain access to these data sets. So that's, a, that's another challenge, I think, is coming together with a standard that is secure. They produce the code, they push it out, and then the code is able to pull that PHA down to the tablets. And then if this application is ever removed or something ever happens to the tablet, what happens with the data set that's on the tablet itself? Is it encrypted? If you remove it, does it wipe the data? Too many times we've seen these applications that will download this PII, PHI information, and they say that they would wipe, but in, in actuality, the data is still there on the tablet. So, I mean, there's a lot of concerns on, on gaining access to, to this uh, information, but it's just that process of securing the information, securing the applications, and securing the APIs. I don't think we're there yet today. We're getting there. Uh, the standards are being produced, and it's just a matter of working with these application developers, developing companies, to produce securely the code, and then also make sure that the keys are secured. So, Jared, with that said, what do app developers need to do to ensure that they are actually properly addressing these various security concerns in the products that do allow individuals to access their own health information and to ensure that these incidents, these security lapses, these breaches or potential breaches don't happen? Historically, I would say that a lot of app developers, whether that's an application developer in in a large database or a a web application or even a, a tablet app or a phone or an iPad or another tablet, those app developers historically have simply produced code. Gain access to the information, the security wasn't necessarily built. It is now. It's becoming a norm uh, built in the software development lifecycle where all throughout the code lifecycle development, they're always continually testing. Years ago, they would simply test at the end of the code development after they gained access to the data and it's presenting well. Then they would run it through some uh, various security testing and make sure source code review and then also some runtime application testing. That is changing, and that's something that we welcome, obviously, on the security side of the house, is building that security testing as that life cycle is going throughout the the development of the code. I think that is, is where you will continually get better code development, more secure code development, and then also the, the continuous mindset that, you produce the code, you continue to patch it, continue to update, and the most importantly from our perspective is monitoring. You may not necessarily be able to monitor all the tablets and applets and, and all the devices out in the world that are getting access to these data sets, uh, but having a robust monitoring engine of the original data sets and the servers that house this data to look for anomalies, to look for various types of intrusions. And so that monitoring aspect, I think, is that last layer of protection that, that organizations need to strive for. So, Helen, what about the healthcare organizations and other holders of patient information? What steps should they be taking to avoid security incidents involving third-party apps that are being used by patients to access their data on their smartphones and other mobile devices? So I think at the, at the healthcare organization level, beginning to engage your technology office, your technology officer, your security officer, and your IT team there, and getting geared up for what's to come. Many organizations, particularly healthcare systems, healthcare organizations, they have had some experience even to date with one-off requests and APIs and, and applications, but they've been able to go through a vetting process and have some semblance of control over that process allowing those applications to meet their standards first before they're permitted to access in or to uh, connect in. Um, As that begins to accelerate 
through the required or compelled API development and these interfaces and these compelled connections that are going to be required through the information blocking rule program and the CMS programs and others. They're well advised to begin gearing up now and understanding how the info blocking rules are going to accelerate and not allow them to pick and choose or even adopt a more conservative approach to how they've historically released data. Once the info blocking rule accelerates and those API connections are beginning to come in and the requests to connect begin to accelerate, they're going to be put in a position where they're going to have to respond quickly. So taking the time now, first of all, to understand that the default now is going to be that you're going to have to be willing and able to share that information. If your EHR, your help IT system is poised to connect through those APIs and to release the information, the default is going to be that you're going to have to be in a position to release that information. You can't hold that back or you could be potentially engage in prohibited information blocking. And so with that as a starting point, which sort of flips the entire sort of viewpoint towards privacy and confidentiality on its head, whereas historically healthcare organizations have leaned towards not sharing the information, they're going to have to come from a different standpoint now and, and share the information. So understanding how your access credentials are going to have to change, how your verification processes, how your policies are going to have to change depending on who and from who and from what kind of organization. Is it the API connection and request coming in from a public health authority? Is it coming in from a researcher? Is it coming in from the patient himself or herself? Is it coming in from a legal um, representative? All those examples represent categories of types of third parties that, and individuals that could be requesting access to health data through an API. And so they're going to have to take a look at all of their internal policies and procedures down to the detail, presumably do an entire risk analysis of how the implementation of APIs and the info blocking rule is going to pose and introduce new risks and then recreate a risk analysis based on those risks as it starts to deploy and accelerate over the months uh, and years to come. So again, to recap, I think um, the health organizations should start now by understanding the acceleration of the data exchange and getting their, their PMPs and their analyses and identifying you know, how this is going to affect their operations internally so they can uh, have a response to it and understand how the exceptions to info blocking rule can be used to appropriately hold back information when they need to, but without violating those real rules, so getting their ducks in order now. I think just to add upon that, as, as they establish that risk profile, and understand, okay, we're not going to intake this, this information, is have that policy in place, have that plan in place so that ever, heaven forbid, there ever is an incident, there ever is a breach, understand who owns the data, where is the data, and be able to trace back and have a log and historical perspective as how it happened, what happened, and have that plan in place so that when the incident happens, everybody's reacting properly, and they're not trying to figure out how to respond to the breach after the event occurred. So, and then obviously that plays into cyber insurance and, and everything else. But be prepared for that, and I think that's part of that risk profile analysis that the organizations have to do. Thanks, Helen and Jared. I've been speaking to Helen Ashoslowski and Jared Kolthoff. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.